Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to episode number 15 of Tell Me Your Tales with Ken Green. More on him in a second. What a weekend it's been for marathon running, hey, with the Nike Sub 2 project. It's actually a question I asked Ken about during the interview today. Um, I think gathering by the podcast show last week, I was super intrigued about what was going to happen. And um, yeah, I think, although it's a bit of a media kind of hype around it and a bit of a PR stunt by Nike, I still um, think it's amazing for our sport to get the general the general masses involved and people interested. So um, yeah, it was kind of really good to follow along. Not that I did much following along. I was at Groove in the Moon Music Festival in Bendigo when it was happening. So um, my phone was on airplane mode and I was yeah, not letting any text messages or updates or anything come to me. And then when I got home, I watched the replay, not sure what was going to happen. So that was good viewing. It was pretty well set up with the the stories of all the athletes and the scientists and kind of stuff like that. As it was going, I thought, in the broadcast, um, some pretty well-credentialed commentators as well. Don't know about Kevin Hart. Um, I, I reckon he's awesome and super funny and stuff, but probably not the place for him in that context there over the weekend. Um, another awesome thing that happened on the weekend was Echuca Moama r- launched its park run, which was amazing. So we had 232 runners on our debut, which was pretty good. And um, more importantly, we had about, uh, I had a guess, maybe in between 50 and 70 indigenous uh, local Yorta Yorta park runners, which was fantastic to see Nurnda and the people in town get behind uh, the parkrun initiative so I'm hoping that they keep rocking up week in week out. I was uh, the volunteer so I was on the time the time tokens at the finish line there which got a bit hectic at a few stages there especially when people coming through one after each other pretty quick so um, yeah super busy Saturday for me with the parkrun launch and Groove in the Moo in the afternoon and as I said it's uh, Sunday and I'm just putting this show together now and looking forward to getting out for a two hour long run afterwards. So more on today's guest, Ken Green. He, um, yeah, it was. I was pretty nervous actually doing this interview because Ken's probably one of the first people that I've had on the show that I haven't. I think I've met him maybe once, and I talk about that at the start of the conversation. But don't really have a rapport with. Don't really have a um, relationship with. Don't know a lot about him. He doesn't know a lot about me. So it was. It's probably more a question answer kind of show rather than a conversation. Um, in this episode, uh, very grateful. He sent me a message after the Brad Milosevic in- interview, so he's obviously Brad's coach, and just kind of we got talking from there, and then yeah, really grateful that he could give up an hour of his time to be featured in this chat. So yeah, plenty of uh, pieces of wisdom in there. Obviously, he's coached Jeff Hunt to run 211 in his first ever marathon. Jeremy Roth under 335, I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, Brad Milosevic 216, so he's coached some pretty handy athletes and yeah, really grateful that he gave up an hour of his time to come on Tell Me Your Tales. 
If you enjoy his stuff, uh, be sure to reach out and let him know you heard him on this podcast. Thanks to the people that gave me a review this week. Megan, very uh, much grateful for that review you put on iTunes. Really appreciated. And well done to Frankie Conway, who won our guessing competition for who could guess the closest time the Nike Sub 2 uh, would get on the weekend. I think he was about 15 seconds off with his prediction, which is pretty handy. That was a bit of a competition I was running over on the Tell Me Your Tales Facebook page. So if you haven't already found that on Facebook and given it a like, I would really appreciate you to kind of uh, get there and spread the word to make sure this show can get out to more listeners. Anyway, enough of me talking on. Enjoy this chat today with Ken Green. Green, welcome to Tell Me Your Tales. Yes, um, hello, how yeah. are you? Thanks for coming on. It's um, I was a bit nervous about this interview. I, I think maybe I've met you once through Heather yep. or Lee Pertill. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, so. uh, well, I see Heather in the family most years at Falls Creek, but I haven't seen Lee for quite some time, yep. which is uh, a bit unpl- unfortunate, but anyhow. Yeah, um, no, I was a Bendigo boy what? originally and did um, ah. did a few years' work at Pertill's Nursery there. and it was, um, Did you really? I did, oh. yeah. Pretty good person to learn off Lee. He's a pretty hard worker. And, um, yeah, we used to run all over the, the vineyard, oh, not the vineyard, through the glass houses there and get stuff done while we're working. Was this when they were still in Bendigo or out at Huntley? Um, out at Huntley, so, yeah. Okay. Yep, so, um, yeah, no, it was good. Good being able to work outside and he was um, someone I or still do really look up to. He's still got a few of the Bendigo records and quite a um, credentialed athlete himself. He was. He was. A workaholic all the, all the same, though. Yeah, yeah. Worked. I wonder what times he could have ran if he wasn't working so hard. Yeah, no, I agree. But anyhow, um, so his choices. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So take us back to the start, mate. Um, obviously, or maybe do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, well, Ken Green lives in Sydney, former Melbourne boy, um, on the wrong side of 50. Um, uh, yeah, athletics coach, former banker, um, not much more to add to the resume, really. Oh, I think you're pretty modest. Some of the um, athletes you've coached and mentored over the years is uh, a pretty good list of athletes. So how did that whole coaching career come about? Um, well, very much by accident. I moved to Sydney for work uh, reasons in um, 1997, late 97, and um, moved into a suburb called Lilyfield in Sydney and reacquainted myself with um, a guy named David Evans, who was also a former Melbourne boy. Dave was still pretty ambitious with his running, and uh, I was reasonably fit then, so I could keep up with him for a few runs. um, So sort of runs became discussions, discussions became advice, advice became coach. And, uh, you know, Dave, Dave was probably the original, really, and things sort of skipped on from there to people like Kim Gillard and Blair Martin and yeah just one thing led to another really yeah uh, 
and you were a national 1500 meter like level runner at the time though, uh, weren't you? Was that yeah, na- national at best? I made yeah. a few national finals, but was never really a realistic chance of winning them. Yeah. Um, you know, my day was Doyle and Hillard and Scammell and, and yeah. you know, uh, with quite a bit of depth, um, but good fun. Yeah. Yep. And then talk me through, obviously you've got the Sydney Running Academy at the moment yeah. and it's pretty professional kind of um, outlook, like just going on your website and checking out your blogs and all the updates there and the relationship with ASIC, how did that progress from three or four or five people to what it is today? Um, well, ASICs have been very good to our group. Um, very, very good, in fact. Um, you know, they directly sponsor, you know, apparel and shoes and some travel money for for a number of them and, and provide sort of some gear and stuff for, for others. Um that all came about oh, in two thousand. When was Moscow? Uh, two thousand thirteen, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I Moscow think so. Yeah. Champs. I uh, had a bit of a rapport with the marketing guy there at Asics, guy named Sam Chu, because he'd helped out Dave and Kim in the early days, and I sort of met with Sam in in Moscow at lunch over lunch, and we just discussed possibilities, and sort of one thing came to an, to another, and. Um, um, Sam liked, or, or ASICs and Sam liked the idea of sort of sponsoring a whole squad rather, you know, because you know, none of our squads are Asbel Kiprop. Um, mm. um, and so just one thing grew, grew from one to another. The Sydney Running Academy thing came about because ASICs wanted to brand it something. They wanted to sort of make it a team approach like, a cricket team or a rugby team they wanted to sort of sponsor a team of athletes so we had to give it a team name um we didn't want it to be a running club per se because not everyone in the squad or or everyone i coach runs for the same running club so that that couldn't do it that way so we came up with something independent um thrashed a few names around we got sick of projects you know everything's yeah. a project <laughs> i want to pick so your brain did- on some of those projects later on we didn't want to use the word project if we could help it and uh, a few of those projects, especially Australia, just seem to have fallen by the wayside. Um, um, so we, I, I can't remember quite how we came up with Sydney Running Academy, to be honest. It was three of us just brainstormed it, and that's where we ended up. Um, and Astics just wanted a vehicle that they could, they could say they support. Um, we needed to have a website. And the website, look, we're not kidding ourselves. We're not expecting to have millions of hits and lest someone breaks through big time. But it allows us a bit of a brochure site. Mm. Um, you know, we picked up a few other sponsors that have been quite helpful because of it. So, yeah, I'd like to think we're trying to run it in a in a professional manner. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so maybe that's... could you unpack for the listeners maybe some of the people who are in there currently or who have been in there in the past just to let them know probably the level of athlete we're talking about here? Well, more recently, we've had people like Jeff Hunt and Jeremy Roth and Ben Moreau and James Nepris, but they've all moved on. You know, Jeff, Jeremy and Ben have all pretty much retired from being full-on athletes. Uh, Nip has moved to Canberra seeking greener pastures um, with work. Um, so we've had a bit of a churn in recent times. So we've sort of taken a let's support the youth approach 
looking towards 2020 plus, you know. So, you know, we had Kate Spencer and Amy and Hardy, Amy and Lily Harding to lose and Zach Faccioni and Caitlin Simpson. Um, well, Brad, obviously. Um, yeah. um, who else? Um, uh, Don't feel the pressure to name them all. Yeah. We'll end up missing someone. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so we've sort of taken a bit of a youth policy, really, and trying to take a bit of a timeline horizon and give these younger people a bit of support and a f- like feeling of belonging to something. Um, yeah. I think our sport misses that sort of um, piece of you know athletes feeling part of something. You know that. They get gets very caught up in it's an individual sport where I sort of take the opposite approach. Well, you know, really it can be a team approach. So we've we've sort of taken that approach. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you know, their average. I mean, Brad would probably be um, our oldest member now, and he's only twenty five. The rest are all between sort of eighteen and twenty two. Um, you know, we we don't add people to it that aren't have a sense that they're committed to the sport and committed to being, you know, committed to being international athletes. So we'll see how it unfolds over the next, you know, two to five years. Yeah. And even that Brad story, like um, him, he was in like the development team for a while there and then progressed through. Is that correct? That's true. Um, Brad, coached Brad for a long time, um, seven or eight years now, and he's just toiled away. You know, he's just a good, honest plotter. And, um, look, he's not kidding himself. He knows 216 is 216. He's not silly. Um, but if anyone said five years ago that Brad Milosevic would have missed Rio Olympics by a bee stick and, mm. and in all likelihood will go to London World Champs, people would have looked at you funny. So, he's, you know, he's a credit. He's done really, really well for himself. Yep. You know, he won the Sydney Surf. He's won the Melbourne Marathon, you know. Um, he's done really well. Yeah. Tell us a bit about Hamburg last week. Well, yeah, I mean, he, you know, truth, it was probably a minute, 90 seconds shy of what I would have liked. Um, you know, he was um, a pretty conservative first 10K, which, and then got the halfway in 68 minutes. So, you know, maybe a minute slower than what was ideal. Um, and that's, it cost, it's cost him in the end. I think if, you'd, if you're running truly, it's hard to negative split. Especially at Hamburg, um, course doesn't sort of lend itself to it. Uh, but you know, it's two sixteen. It's a puts him in the mix for London. Um, uh, so yeah, it can't be too harsh. Yep. As um, coach, have you heard any like uh, communication with AA about when that team's coming out? Uh, the selection date is, is uh, I think. The, in, it's in the criteria. I think it's the 21st of May Okay, yeah. is the selection meeting um, or, or thereabouts. So that's been well-established date for some time. So, yeah. And uh, as a coach, how do you go um, – yeah, how do you go with that pressure for the next 20 days of not knowing whether he's made the team or not? Um, oh, you just roll with it, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, you know, the time's the time and you deal with what you've got. Um, uh, you know, it's, it'd be a function a little bit of what other athletes may or may not choose to do. Um, um, you know, Brad's still away, he gets back 
tomorrow, I think, tomorrow or Tuesday. So we'll have a chat later in the week and, um, yeah. Are you referring to Shelley there? Is that the one, like, the, do you know if he's nominated or not? Oh, look, I don't know. And it's, yeah. look, you know, I, I'm not sure. I think there's, there's speculation that um, Liam's running Berlin, which would obviously leave, leave him out of world champs. I mean, Jeff Hunt's got a time from last year, but, you know, Jeff, I don't think Jeff's in that, I don't know what should have Jeff, shaped Jeff's in, but it, I think he'd be unlikely to nominate. So, yeah, Brad's in a good spot, but, you know, it's hearsay and speculation at this stage of mm. what the others are doing. Yeah, I guess um, as a coach, you've got to get across the message to worry about what you can control and not waste mental energy on everyone else. Well, that's right. And... Um, you know, had he run that minute or 90 seconds quicker, the discussion we'd be having now would be slightly different, mm. you know, because he'd be in the top two or three. And, um, so, you know, I just think with athletes, they just, you know, the only way to take selection grey out of the equation is run very fast. Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. pretty honest run, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's an honest kid, Brad. He deserves his opportunity, I think. He's... He's been on the wrong side of some tight calls in a couple of world cross countries. Um, yeah. Rio, look, if it was me, I would have sent him to Rio. You know, I, I would have sent an aspiring 25-year-old ahead of some others. Um, but, you know, I'm his coach, so you see, you're going to have a jaundice view no matter which way you go. Yeah, especially, like, being 10 minutes behind him at Melbourne and just, like, it's not easy to win a big race like that by yeah. yourself. And, yeah, I thought that was probably worth more than his time as well. Yeah, I think we undervalued the fact that he won that race versus mm. some other performances where, you know, um, we're slightly quicker, but only slightly. Um, but as I said, I'm his coach, so you just... <laughs> As soon as you have these sort of conversations, you're always going to get branded as being a bit jaundiced. So yeah, it's got to roll with it. No, that's yeah. good. Hey, mate, on your um, website, you've got the six P's for the coaching philosophy. Do you want to maybe oh, unpack still... that? For the... Are they still current? <laughs> oh, yeah, they get um, recycled a fair bit. Um, they only become um, relevant with new people, really. Um, it just sets a framework of expectation, really, you know. Do you want to maybe uh, just unpack them for, for me and for the listeners? Oh, I've got to remember them now. Um, patience was in there somewhere. I, well, um, patience is you know, self-defined, I think. You know, nothing happens overnight, you know. Um, you've, got to give, you've got to give a coach-athlete relationship time to work and you've got to give the training time to work. Professionalism is all about, you know, knowing when it's time to be a full-time athlete and knowing when it's time to be a party boy, you know. Um, what else have I got in there? Um, practice. Got, yeah, it's all plan. about training, planning. Um, you know, uh, you know. No one wakes up in um, the month of the Olympics and decides they're going to go to the Olympics. You know, it's it is a four or five year plan. Um, how many is that have I covered off? Preventative measures. Well, that's massage, stretching, looking after yourself. You know, two beers, not ten. Um, you know, the little things, the one percenters. And um, persistence, which is pretty, pretty well, obvious. Persistence, yeah, look, I just think track and field, I'm not a field expert, but I, I, I think it's the same. You know, if you can't persist, if you can't take a few knocks and a few setbacks, um, yeah, you're going to have a frustrating time. Mm. So you got to have a, you know, you got to have some sort of persistent sort of gene in your makeup, I think. Have you um, clashed with athletes in the past about some of those philosophies, like people who are just way too impatient or get on the party boy side a bit too much, or how's that relationship kind of been? 
Um, I don't clash with athletes all that often. I reckon I can count on one hand the number of clashes I've had with athletes. Um, no, it's really those who want to be good, and good can be mean different things for different people, of course. Mm. Um, you know, they find their own space, I reckon. Um, it's more about a message of where, where I'm coming from. You know, if you want me to dedicate time, emotion, invest effort, then these are the things I expect um, or these are the things that you need to sort of at least think about, you know. And if you take the piss out of them, that's fine. Come along to training and have a good time and get fit. But, you know, don't expect me to spend 24-7 worrying about whether you're going to make the Olympics, you know. Mm. That's more about just a, a model to signal, you know, where, where I sit on these sort of things. Yep. Does that make um, sense? Yeah, it does. What yep. about back to that motivation? I guess for athletes, it's all about winning races and getting the best out of yourself. But coaches are often forgotten about the amount of hours they put in. And I know you with your um, massive squad must put a stack of um, hours into the coaching and the mental drain and standing there with stopwatches. What kind of motivates <laughs> you to keep doing that all the time? Well, I'm not a stopwatch coach, let me clarify okay. that. No, I, I look, I, our group's not, I don't think, too dissimilar to lots of groups around the around the world or, or in Australia, you know. It sort of has its own sort of vibe. It has its own culture. It has its natural role models. You know, I've been very lucky to have people like Jeremy Roth and, and Nipper and, and, a, and a few others who are really good role models, you know. Um, they sort of set the daily standards and routines and expectations and it, it just sort of looks after itself. I mean, I'm, I'm going to America on Thursday for six weeks. You know, the squad will just tick over. You know, nothing will change. Um, it's nice to be there, but I can afford not to be there for four to six weeks and be fairly comfortable things will tick over. That must give you a lot of pride as well and satisfaction to know that it can tick away without you there. Oh, absolutely. And... You know, it's um, you know, for me, it's not about the next Olympic champion. You know, it's there's there's a lot of lesser lights in the squad that are equally dedicated who you like to see have success at their level, and you get a lot of kick out of that. I mean, Brad's a classic example. You know, five or six years ago, he was just a mug. You know, he wouldn't have finished in the top fifty in the city to surf, but he's just chewed away and got a lot of satisfaction from that. Brad's never going to win the Olympics. He knows that, but. You know, um, you know, the satisfaction out of his success is, is, is very high. He's terrific. It would have been pretty good seeing him come into the MCG that day. It was a good day. I mean, um, he was, you know, he was he is in a bit of a purple patch, you know. He, um, he had a good year. What was that, 20, what are we now? Was that 2015? 15, yeah, October. Yeah. Yeah, no, he had a good year. Um, um yeah, no, it was cool. It was very cool. Yeah, we, we'd like to go back to Melbourne, but um, if he doesn't go to the World Champs, then that's an option. Yeah. Um, um, you know, Tim Crosby runs a good ship and looks after us. So, yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, no, I'm sure it was. Um, talk to us a bit about Flagstaff. What's the idea? Just obviously altitude for six weeks? Well, I'm going in a in an AA capacity and as a personal coach capacity. Um so there's 24 athletes going, of, of which only five of them I personally coach. The rest are all 
combination of NAS athletes, World Championship athletes, and, and others. Um, it's you know it's 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 a it's a model to provide athletes and coaches a, a, an option or an alternative or, or venue, whatever you want to call it, to train at altitude and have a few races in the states if if that's what they choose, or or, or as a platform into Europe, depending on who they are, you know. Um, there's some very good athletes there. I mean, Lyndon's going again. Madeline's there. Millie. Um, a lot of my own athletes are going to be there. Or, oh, so I said, five of my own athletes are going to be there. And uh, last year was seen as quite successful. So there's, you know, we invest a bit of time in it this year again. Yeah. Yeah. Do you join up with like? Is it the Bowman Track Club? Are they over there? Um. A lot of different groups there. I mean, Flagstaff's a bit of a, uh, you know, it's a bit of a mecca. Um, yeah. I mean, Mo Farrow's there at the moment, a lot of Kiwis there. Um, uh, Rom Denmark's group are there. Um, uh, the Bauman group were there last year. I can only assume they're there this year, but I don't actually know. I won't know until I get there. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's pretty cool. It's a good setup, good town. Uh, it's not too big, but big enough to have things to do. Uh, yeah, it's good. It's a bit different to Falls, you know. Um, I think with young people, two or three weeks at Falls is enough. But, you know, six to eight weeks at Flagstaff is okay because there's, there's cinemas, there's coffee shops, there's shopping centres, you know. You, 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 it's, just, it's just a nice fit. It's slightly higher than Falls Creek. It's 2,100 metres or 7,000 feet. Um, yeah. Uh, which, you know, it's it's high enough without being silly. Yeah, right. And you're just back from Uganda as well the last couple of weeks? Yes, yes. Uganda was an interesting experience. Um, yeah, Africans certainly enjoy their cross-country, that's for sure. Yeah, I watched the video. It looked awesome. Just yeah, a no, really good atmosphere. Yeah, no, it was great. Yeah, I missed a bit of it because you're sort of doing team things, you know. <coughs> um, but, but, yeah, no, it was, it was terrific, yeah, yeah. The um, role of coach has obviously taken you, like we just talked in the last 15 minutes about Flagstaff, Uganda and Hamburg. Um, it's obviously taken you some pretty interesting places. Um, yeah, I didn't actually go to Hamburg, actually. Sorry. Oh, okay, sorry, yeah. Um, Brad Brad went on his own. Uh, I just couldn't, couldn't fit it in. Uh, I will go to London if Brad gets there, though. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah. Look, athletics is a especially distance running. Oh, well, sorry, all athletics, track and field. It's an international sport and you've got to roll with it, you know. You can't go to everything. Um, you know, I mean, my partner, Nina, is a former international marathon runner herself of some some repute. So, um, you know, she gets it. So it works out okay. Yeah, that's good. Any um, really memorable trips? Um... Uganda was pretty unique. I mean, how often do you get to go to Central Africa? Yeah. Uh, or Central East Africa, I should say. Um, but, yeah, my favourite athletic meet of all time was Berlin World Champs 2009. Um, you know, it was it saw the superstardom of Usain Bolt come of age. Um, there were some fantastic distance races, and Berlin's a wonderful city. Um so that's my standout championship thus far in, in my travels. Um, um, 
Yeah. What's it like when you're over there as a coach and um, a performance doesn't turn out the way you want? How do you, like, I know you've, you've used the term roll with the punches or roll with it a few times, but does it ever get you down and you've got any strategies to kind of get over it? Or, like, I can just feel oh, being on yeah. the other side of the yep. world, it could be a, a tough time sometimes as coach. Yeah, I often say to athletes and coaches that ask, you've got to, you've got to really, really, really enjoy the good moments, you know. Um, especially as athletes get better and better and better because the good moments are harder to come by because the expectations and the level and the performances are, you know, are harder to, harder to achieve. Um, but, yeah, there's been a lot of dark room, dark room moments, but as I've matured as a coach, you learn to sort of, as, yeah, well, it sounds like a cliche, you learn to sort of roll with it. You know, it's more about the athlete, you know, and how are they coping and how do they come out of it and how do you manage the next steps, you know. It's more about he or she, depending on who it is, you know, it's more about them than you. Hmm. Um, if it becomes too much about you, then I think you've lost the plot. Yeah, but, probably time to get out of the coaching game. Yeah, it, you know, it really needs to be how's the athlete coping and and um, and how you manage that process. Um, yeah, and who do you sort of who else do you wrap around them to nurse them through the disappointment? So are there more coaches on board at, like you talked about Jeremy Roth before, has he gone into a bit of a management or coaching role as well for Sydney yeah, he's Academy? Coaching at his, um, at, he coaches at a private school in, in uh, eastern suburbs of Sydney. Um, he's got, a, you know, kids 13, 14 that he's doing stuff with. Um, he'll, he'll oversee things for me while I'm away in, in um, Flagstaff. Um, uh, yeah. But yeah, no, Jeremy, yeah, he loves it. You know, he just loves athletics, Jeremy. He just loves running. You know? Yeah. And you guys must be pretty tight. Like, was that 2006, he con games in Melbourne? Yeah. I mean, I first, 2006 was his first major team. Yeah, I think he'd been to a few Mickey Mouse Eckert and Relays. Um, uh, but I first came across Jeremy, I'm just trying to think, uh, maybe 2001, 2002. Yeah. So a little while ago, yeah, absolutely. And plenty of ups and downs in that um, career as well, like so many oh, injuries yeah. and... Oh, yeah, I mean, 2012 was a major disappointment. He got the plantar fasciitis operation, which was marginally successful, but it didn't really get him across the line. Um, and he's battled since then, really, to be honest. Um, you know, he's... Look, he's made the right decision. It's time to sort of do other things and... Um, you respect him for that. Yeah. Um, what else? I've got a massive amount of questions written down here. One of the first things I want to get to next is the recent kind of drug bust in the marathon and the endurance running kind of world and, you know, the current coaches and groups and stuff under investigation. Does that, as a long-time coach and somebody who's sending athletes to compete at this international level, does that worry you and concern you for the future of the sport? Um, hmm. Well, I think if you allow yourself to get too morose about it, you might as well give up. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, I sort of guy that sort of says, just give everyone the doubt till proven otherwise. Yeah. Um, but in saying all that, it would appear there's a heightened focus on, um, on, um, 
making sure we're closer to a level playing field than we've been in the past. Whether we ever get to a true level playing field across every federation across the planet, probably very unlikely. Um, but my sense is we're moving closer. You know, the, sc- the, the scales are tipping a little bit. And uh, if that means the next generation of distance runners are thinking twice about um, illegal means, then it's a big step forward. Mm. Um, but I try to shut down drug talk very quickly because if you allow yourself to sort of be so immersed in it and so negative about it, then you might as well stop. You might as well give up. Um, um, so press on and 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 have some faith that that things are getting better. Yeah, good answer. And back to worrying about what you can control and not yeah. people on the other side of the world, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that's not to say it doesn't exist, and that's not to say it's not a problem. But you know, um, you know, worry about your performances and worry about your own ethical code and moral standing, and, and, and you know, let the processes sort themselves, sort everyone else out in, in fullness of time. Yeah. And I think, as you said, it's kind of good that some of these busts are coming to the light and it's feeling like it's evening out a bit. Yeah, well, it would seem so, yeah. Yeah, it's a promising yeah. time would, for the look, future. Who knows, at the end of the day, but it would seem so. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it. Um, talk me through a general week of training, if you don't mind, sharing your secrets of what maybe, what maybe a marathoner's build-up would look like. Um, <coughs> well, marathon... Well, I think the marathoners have two specific sessions, Wednesday and Sunday, and that's to run. <laughs> um, uh, I think you can't undervalue the long run. I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate to have, you know, access to people like Mona's Diaries and, and, and Deeks and... The thing that stuck out on 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 their re- on those readings is just they just ran they just ran 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 week in week out had very few interruptions uh, didn't allow life to interrupt their runs and uh, I think that's very important. I mean, um, I mean even Jeff Hunt, although you know Jeff Hunt's nowhere near Deke or Mono, let me make that clear, but he did run two eleven and. First up. Uh, and uh, lots of reasons why he didn't improve, but he did run 2.11. And I think the, the single thing that stands out in his running was, you know, for two years he didn't miss a long run, you know. Didn't miss a Wednesday, didn't miss a Sunday for two years. And yeah. uh, just got himself super fit. How long uh, was he doing on those Wednesdays and Sundays? Sundays was sort of 2.15, occasional 2.30. You know, one in four was 2.30, the others were 2.15. His Wednesdays were, you know, 90 minutes to an hour 45. Um, you know, interestingly, someone like Brad, I mean, a single difference between Brad now and five years ago was five years ago he was probably running 60, 70 minutes on a Wednesday and a couple of hours on a Sunday, but he's pushed those out. And I think it's made a significant difference. Yeah. And is that just like rolling at a easy pace or medium pace or do you put in you know, uh, efforts you just, in there? Or Oh, uh, no, you're just running. You know, you're just running with your group. You just... Use the environment or the topography of your run to sort of give you the to give you the the the, the effort or the benefit, you know. Um, you don't get too anal about it. 
you know, don't get too controlled by your Garmin. If I had my way, I'd ban every Garmin on the planet. Yeah, um, but that's Go another story. Um, yeah, you just run, just run. Yeah, yeah. Do you enforce that with your train? Like, can, do your guys wearing Garmin's and that, or do you ask oh, them not look, to wear it? Can't, can't get away from it. You know, <laughs> the twenty first century bug, as I call it. <laughs> I've, I've just, I've, I, I often joke with my younger athletes. I ever become the president of the world, I'm just going to have one big bonfire and put every Garmin on the planet in the Chuck bonfire. In. You know. Because uh, I do think running to how you feel is really important. Um, you know, if you're doing a 10-mile run or a 16K run, I sort of like athletes to have two or three alternatives and not wear a watch. You just run it, mm. you know, and one week might be quicker than last week and one week might be slower than last week, but you don't actually know. You just run it to how you are, you know. I mean, I'm all for timing specific sessions and, and fart leg and and that stuff, but runs I think it just runs. Yeah, and I think uh, that would be my, th- you know, coming back to your original question on marathon running, you know, it's it, it's an over. It Maybe I could be accused of being oversimplified, but I think, you know, you just run your 180k a week, 160k a week, whatever your week is, and you just get it done week in week out for as long as you can. Like 20 weeks is better than 10, 30 weeks is better than 20, 40 weeks is better than 30, and so on and so on. Yeah, I read the interview you did with Japan Running News talking about how that was Jeff's big success when he ran that 211 first up, that he just had two awesome years where he never missed stuff and just consistency over a long period of time rather yeah, than anything absolutely. special. Yeah, I mean, Jeff was a good trainer, don't get me wrong. I mean, Jeff's... Jeff's um, I mean, everyone's abilities are different, you know. Um, but Jeff's ability, or everyone's talent, is different. Sorry, I should say. Jeff's talent was he just got things done. You know, he was he was never a guy who's going to run a four minute mile. He was never a guy who's going to run twenty seven thirty for ten k. Uh, but he just got things done. That was his talent manifested. His his talent manifested in his ability just to get things done. Yep. Um, I'd love to know are there any been ever been any um, like massive sessions that some of your guys have done and you've just thought that that was amazing. Like, can you share any stories about just some remarkable splits or anything that's really kind of impressed oh, you? Oh, look, thought that... you know, beware of the super session. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, every athlete or coach gets excited about a session that is that has a wow moment about it, and there's plenty of those. Um, and maybe 10 years ago I'd have got carried away with it, but now I'm thinking, well, maybe we're overdoing it and let's temper the next session a little bit, you know. Um, you know, I've, there's been some, as, as there is all squads around the country, you know, you have some really talented athletes do some great sessions, but for whatever reason they never seem to be able to, produce it at, on the track, you know, in a race. Um, so, yeah, all I can say to that is just beware of the super session. Yeah, and especially in this day and age with social media and Strava and it's pretty easy to get carried away and, um, you know, yeah. fluff things up a bit. <laughs> yeah, social media is something else I'd burn too if I had my way. But anyway, yeah. that's another discussion. It's so. going to be a big fire we've got going here. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Another thing I want to ask is, how do you go managing so many athletes who have obviously got different talent levels when they come to you and develop and are training for different events? Has your head just got, you know, 
20 different training programs jumbled in it? Oh, no. I mean, we are a volume-based distance squad at the end of the day. Um, you know, if someone comes to me and they're the 4-8 runner, um, you know, I, I'd look to, to find a, a, a different coach for them, you know, because I can't spell 400, never mind coach 400. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, that happens a lot, you know. Uh, yeah, um, but that's sort of 8, 15, 15, 5 and beyond that um, um, is, you know, there's a lot of similarities in the training. I mean, everyone does a long run on a Sunday, just that some will do 75 minutes and some will do two hours 30, you know. Long runs, different things are different people. Um, the specificity for 8.15 becomes more relevant in the track season than it perhaps does for a marathon runner. Um, but it just tends to work, you know. Um, everyone warms up together, warms down together, but they may do slightly, well, they may, well, they will do different things on the track or different size hills or different length hills or whatever, you know. Uh, so just, you know, as long as you can have a fairly collegiate environment, it, it doesn't really matter. Mm. And that, I guess, um, all adds to that group effect. Yeah, absolutely. Group effect is incredibly important, um, I think, as long as it's collaborative, you know. Uh, um, you know, I, a very I can count on one hand the number of people I've sort of said, no, I'm not interested in coaching you. Um, it very rarely happens. But if I get a sense that it's all about me and they're not prepared to be part of the the team, for want of a better term, then, you know, I'm not interested. Yeah. yeah. How do you go? Do you do like team building activities or anything formal around that? Um, not really, but we do talk about how we can go about helping each other. That might be doing people having different pacemaking duties at different races. Um, some of the guys will help I think of an example someone like Kate Spencer in a session as she's you know she's going away she's got a major race working up so it's about sort of everyone has their moment where it's their turn to contribute you know um, um, yeah so it, it's just how you know that's that's how it works do you think you could have had some of the success you've had with your athletes without that group effect uh, <clears throat> I don't know I mean I don't have a control group elsewhere yeah uh, uh, probably not because I, I probably wouldn't buy into it unless there was that sort of camaraderie um, that exists I think I would would probably not buy into it so, mm. so I know that, yeah for myself I'm always I live in a small town and do a bit now and there are some triathletes but even mentally how tough it is to get out the door and when you're not meeting somebody and kind of push through on those hard days yeah yeah, yeah. Quite a challenge. I get quite jealous of the big groups. It's um, yeah, maybe something for the future. Yeah. Um, I want to get your thoughts on the sub two marathon kind of project. We touched on project that word before, mm. but yeah, do you think it's good or bad for the sport? Yeah, good question. Um, I'm not sure. I I think marathons generally have got to this space where everything's a little orchestrated. We've got away from the race. Mm. Um, you know, I find it quite frustrating when you turn on the TV to watch London or Berlin 
uh, or the likes, and you know, you see these black and white stripe pacemaker one, pacemaker two, pacemaker three, pacemaker four, pacemaker five. Now I get it because I'm a informed um, uh, lover of the sport, you know. But you got to wonder whether these people who aren't informed watching TV wonder what they think, you know. And I'm just not sure where that's going. I find the orchestration a bit, a bit cringeworthy. Um, you know, I prefer the the raw race. Um, um, so yeah, I, I don't know how else to answer that. Um, mm. You know, I, I like what some of the American marathon, big American marathon runners races are doing. They're not having pacemakers. They're saying we run, run fast, run fast. You know, I, I quite like that approach. But maybe I'm old school. Maybe I've got to grow up and get into the new century. You know, um, no, I think something's in that though. Like, and at the end of the day, so, if they're running two six, or you'd rather see a good race and four guys in it running two eleven or two twelve rather than yeah, one guy at two six after yeah, all the pacemakers pull out. Yeah. I mean, marathon running's come a long way in the last ten or fifteen years. You know, um, you know, we're talking Deacon Minor running two seven two eight at the at the pinnacle of their sport, but now two seven two eight just looked at as an ordinary run. You know, and uh, but I think the difference is not necessarily training and not necessarily better athletes. It's just that they pick a day where the weather's perfect. They run a course that's point to point. They look to the best downhill without being exaggerated they could possibly get um mind you in saying that london's probably not of that ilk of course um but there's a lot more orchestration and um yeah i i, I don't like it you know I, where do they break i mean i'd love people to break two hours in a really true run race rather than you know around a mm, formula course, one yeah. formula one racetrack we've with running shoes with springs in it, you know, it just doesn't seem too real to me. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a bit gimmicky, isn't it? It's kind of a yeah. bit corny, if anything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what's the difference between someone blood doping and someone wearing springs in their shoes? I mm. mean, it's still a, you know, it's it's still an orchestrated advantage. Um, yeah, so I'm yeah, I'm indifferent is probably the best answer I can give to yeah. that. You would have been pretty in favour with um, Melbourne Marathon last year, then not having any Kenyans and kind of letting just the oh, good no. domestic guys. Or no, no, I'm happy. I mean, it's a world sport, you know. Um, you know, it's it's more about having Kenyans in Melbourne with five pacemakers that I would find a bit funny. Yeah, um, okay. but you know, it's a world sport. I mean, I think championships around the world should be open. Uh, I'm not a big fan of closed closed events. Um, um, you know, it's it's a global world. So, you know, if Kenyans want to come and run um, the Melbourne Marathon, so be it. You know, if two or three overseas athletes want to run the National 1500-metre championships, so be it, you know. Um, I think that, you know, we get a bit sort of um, uh, a bit too Australian on that sort of stuff sometimes, I think. Yeah, looking after our locals and, rather than pushing them to the next level. Is that what you're... Yeah, and that, well, as you pointed out, you know, Brad beat him on that day anyhow, so yeah. not it's not impossible. And Brad's Brad's not not a two three guy; he's a two sixteen guy, you know. So it can be done. Yeah, yeah. you spoke about Monas and Deke before, and um, although the international times have got quicker, why do you think? 
like other than Michael Shelley, I guess it's it's pretty hard to find. Well, no one's down at two eight anymore, and the kind yeah. of um, it's pretty like you know getting a two sixteen is almost probably going to make you give you a spot on the yeah, team. Yeah, no, no, it is a it is a worry. I think um, if you look across the spectrum of events in track and field, the men's steeple and the men's marathon are probably two of our. Um, less competitive or, or softer events. Um, yeah, what do you put that down to? Well, I can't speak yeah, for hard Michael. Question. You know, he's, you know, it baffles me that Michael hasn't run quicker. But um, look, I'm not close enough to it to, to really comment. It would be unfair to do so. Um, but my perception is that there's we haven't got a core of men that are prepared to do the work. Uh, I mean, England's in the same boat, I reckon. You draw a line there. You know, you need half a dozen, 10, 12 people that appear to do 180K a week and have the support mechanism to allow them to do that. You know, we're trying to we're trying to run marathons off half marathon training. I just, I just don't think it works. Um, um, you know, Deacon Mono were serious, serious people there. They're serious about their sport. Um, and did a lot of work. Uh, I don't see the numbers doing that um, to allow us to get back to the two seven two eights. Um, um, you know, easy for me to say, of course, because I never did it myself personally. Uh, but you know, I'd be love to get five or six guys together that are prepared to run one hundred and eighty k a week and train hard and give it two or three years, um, because I think the opportunities are enormous for them. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, tough gig. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't see enough people doing enough work. And do you think it's because of the, like those talented people who probably, um, you know, have got that base talent and could do the 180K a week probably get caught in other sports as well? Like is... Quite possibly, yeah. not real appealing, banging out 180K a week if you're still living yeah. at home and not getting paid. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, look, it's not easy. I'm not suggesting for a minute it's easy. Um, but I think the half the, the the popularity of the half marathon in the last decade has hurt us. Um, people want to be good half marathon runners, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it stops them being good marathon runners. I think. Um, um, you know, in, look, I don't know how many half marathons Mona ran. I couldn't tell you, but I doubt he'd run as many as the current marathon runners don't do today. Um, yeah, I heard um, I heard an interview with him, and he kind of said when he broke the, or must have been a world best, I think, at the Great North yeah. Run. And at that stage, they didn't even know what the world record or world best was. It was just a bit of a yeah, sixty o something. I yeah, think. initial yeah. kind of event, and he just ran it, and it, times weren't really important, and it was that's all a half marathon was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but the half marathon's become a thing now, and there's yeah. not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I think that's that's had impact in Australia. Um, uh, but it's just my view, you know, it's just one person's view. Oh, Male. and, yeah, before we started recording, we were kind of saying how I got to 66.30 and, you know, you think you're a half de- or going to be a half-decent marathoner, but how it's a whole different game and yeah. that was exact evidence of that. You kind of train yourself to run quick halves and it just doesn't yeah. translate. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not a given. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, my coach, do you know Richard Gleisner from Ballarat? I know Richard, yes. Yeah, yeah. Richard he always says this. Oh, sorry, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, he always says the same thing about, you know, he was no star over the half, but they were just so strong to be able to, there was just massive groups of them banging out two seventeens week in, week out because they were in that culture with Mona and doing some training in big groups and yeah, just exactly. um, training super hard. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, I agree. Mind you, the women marathon runners have been fantastic. Yeah, especially London last week. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, no, they've, they've, you know, we've, um, we've got, we, you know, we've got some depth, you know, um, we're in a position where if one of our two or three guns are injured or unwell and can't make a championship, their fourth or fifth replacement are, are not far behind them, which is, you know, terrific position to be in. Yeah, and I guess they're at that position where you'd want to be running two twenty eight to make a team. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely, and um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think with that half marathon conversation, like things like park run and just how there's a fun run on every single weekend, do you think they kind of take away from it as well? Oh, yeah. Look, I don't know. Um, uh, I mean, park run brings a lot of people into into running. Whether it brings people into elite running, I'm I'm, I'm unsure. Um, uh, and you know, park right. I mean, it's got to be good for community at large. You know, people getting active yeah, and fit. Sure. And you know, I think there's you know, it's it's got its it's got its benefits. Um, whether that transfers to someone saying, "I want to be a world class marathon runner," I, I, I don't know. I'm unsure. Um, um, as I said it much much earlier in this conversation, you know, I think the two most important sessions of the week for marathon runners is your long runs, you know, and they tend to be Wednesday, Sunday. They don't have to be, but they tend to be for most people. Um, you can't do a park run 5K every Sunday morning and get your two hours 30 done at the same time. Hmm. Um, so they have some conflict, um, but we'll see. Park park runs are reasonably recent um, happening so yeah we'll see what happens probably too early to judge yeah it'd be 10 years time when there's a next superstar that started doing park run 5k yeah. every saturday morning yeah. and well, that's it, how they got into the sport yeah let's hope it happens yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah that's um that's good one of the last questions i want to ask you obviously working with people all the time have you got any strategies to build successful relationships because you know you can give an athlete you know a session to do or a weekly program or whatever but if you don't have that relationship there that's surely got to be just as important oh yeah and that works both ways um look my 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 non-athletic career was in you know banking and finance and it was all about relationships and rapport and and maneuvering things so i sort of use those skills um i like to think well um you know, you if you coach long enough, you're always going to have fallouts with people, um, with athletes, and things don't work out. But I like to think nine times out of ten they do. Um, uh, it's, it's it's mainly about listening, getting feedback, and I think um, and, and not being afraid to give feedback the other way. I think you know sometimes, understandably, coaches and I do it sometimes. You sort of sit back and think, oh, does this athlete really need to hear this? But some point they probably do so you just you know you just got to do it yeah um another thing i like to ask people who come on is if they live by a mantra or a philosophy like just in their life not so much a coaching one but ken do you live by any any mantras uh 
in an athletic context, I always feel my my mantra is you've got to be contributing to the sport, not not taking. The take comes as a consequence of contributing. Um, you know, it sounds a bit philosophical, but you know, I, I think giving's the the right approach, and, um, and and you get the rewards sometime down the track. Yeah. So or do you mean like, like volunteering at fun runs or helping your training partners? Oh, no, 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 look, no, no, I'm, I, I think more, I think, uh, yeah, just contributing to the growth of track and field, you know. Um, I think um, you're just participating in the process of whatever Athletics Australia is doing or whatever New South Wales is doing or you're in Victoria's, whether that was the Victor- as Victorian, you know, just be a participant, you know, contribute to the sport growing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, funny answer, I know. No, no, that's good. But, and it kind of comes back to what you said before about don't think you're bigger than the sport or bigger than the group or yeah, it's really that team kind of work. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, how do you define success, Ken? Uh, Another big one for you. Good question. How do I find? Look, uh, Brad Milosevic is a success. You know, he's he's not going. He's not run two seven. He's not going to win the Olympics. But five years ago, he's a mug. You know, and um, he wouldn't mind me saying that because we laugh about it all the time. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's lots of other athletes who've have got. Many, many, many more times more talented than someone like Brad, who have had far less success. Um, so success to me just comes out of, you know, helping people in an athletic context achieve what they want to achieve at whatever level that is. It doesn't have to be the Olympics. You know, it could be a state title. It could be a park run. <laughs> It could be Brad winning the city to surf or Melbourne Marathon. You know, it's 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 different for different people. Yeah, have you got anyone coming up through the ranks that really excites you for us to kind of keep an eye out for? Oh, look, we got at the minute we've had a bit of a generational change in the squad, and most squads go through it, you know. But we got some really really good um, teenagers in the group. You know, Zach Faccioni is pretty exciting. Georgie Evans is exciting. Amy and Lily are exciting. Kate and Caitlin, who are 21, 22, they're exciting. So, um, yeah, it keeps you motivated. Um, there's a few others that in the background that may come on. Um, yeah, so we'll see where we go. And as I said, as I said earlier, next two to five years will will be the proof in the pudding. Yeah, right. And you spoke about um, having access to like monitored training diaries and talk to Chris. I know you're pretty close with Chris Wardlaw as well. Yep. How else yep. do you kind of, you know, personally develop yourself as a coach? Well, look, Rab's been a, a very strong mentor um, for a long time. And uh, I speak to Chris most weeks about mainly about football, European soccer, actually. <laughs> The reason why I wanted to change this time earlier is because Manchester United kick off at eight o'clock. So. Oh yeah, get set for that. Yeah, so I've just got my priorities right there. Um, look, uh, things people like Rab uh, or Chris, sorry, I should say, in this forum, he's a genuine contributor to this sport. You know, he's not about 
what's in it for Chris Wardlaw and, and um, you know, you can sort of ring him and have a good, honest discussion and he'll give you the athletic answer. He won't give you what's in it for Chris Wardlaw answer. And we need more people like that involved, um, you know, and I think uh, he's been a, a strong influence. So is people like Pat Clohesse, you know, and, um, you know, but but as time's gone on, you know, I've been to overseas trips many, 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 many times and different teams and many times you get exposure to different athletes and their coaches and you form um, differing views and opinions and, and outcomes. Um, so it's, it's, it's an evolving thing. I mean... Uh, you know, Uganda was a great experience. Met a couple of different coaches there that I hadn't met before and had a good discussion. So you sort of, you got to be really skilled at sort of building rapport with, with people you meet at the time and learning from them. Mm. Um, and that's a pretty good attitude to have as well that, you know, you don't think it's Ken Green's way or the highway and block everything out with the blinkers on. It's you're willing to learn. No, I mean, Chris coached me as an athlete, you know, and I was, I was no superstar, but I was, I was okay. Um, but we very we do very little of what I did. Uh, it, it sort of just evolved, and um, you know you, you just got to keep evolving. You got to keep open mind to learning. I mean, Flagstaff's great because you get involved with a lot of other groups, and um, and you know a little bit of trial and error, and you know you you move on. You know, there's some basics you know that I won't move from, but. Those basics aren't ninety percent of what I do. They're more like ten percent, you know. Um, uh, but you know, I've always liked to be in a learning environment, anyhow. No matter what I'm pursued, I happen to be in. Yeah, beautiful, Ken. Well, it's five to eight. I better let it you is. go. So Man, you can uh, kick off in yeah. five minutes. Very important timing. Get onto the soccer. Um, hopefully, we might. Oh, I want to get Brad on after this announcement in a couple of weeks, hopefully. So, um, yeah, I'm yeah, looking forward to I'm pretty staying sure it's tuned. Around the, don't hold me to it. It's around the 20, 21st of May. And, uh, you know, let's hope he's this time things fall his way. He's, he's well-deserving. Um, and good luck with yourself for your preparation for Berlin. Yeah, thank you. Think, 19 I weeks. I Liam Adams is going to Berlin, so you'll have a benchmark. Sorry, who's that? I think Liam Adams is going to Berlin, so you'll have a benchmark. Mark. Yeah, it's a pretty decent benchmark. I don't know if I'll be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, yeah, within you know, ten minutes or eight minutes or something of him. Yeah, yeah it's um, it's a good yeah. course that one. You'll have to get some of your guys over there in the future. Yeah. Well, let's hope so. Yeah. All right. Thanks That's very good. much. Thanks Catch again you for your time, Ken. Cheers, man. Cheers. Bye. Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.